So we're starting our new series today, Come to the Table. We're going to spend several weeks talking about what the church is supposed to be and do, and it has a lot to do with the table. So we're going to talk about that over these weeks. How many of you, um, how many of you like going to a food court when you go to a mall? When my kids were little, we, the food court was the preferred place to go because when you have three children under the age of 10, you have about 10 different opinions of what you should eat for lunch. And so with five of us, with me and Janie and our three kids, we could usually find something that somebody liked at a food court. So we would often go to the Parks Mall in Arlington. I was at a church in Arlington years ago, and so we would go stay with friends, and we would go there. Sometimes we'd go ice skating. Well, the food court in the Parks Mall in Arlington is upstairs. It's, you can see the, the ice skating rink on one side, and then it, there's the, the main mall on the other side. And um, what I noticed one day was when we would go in there, anytime we would go into the, uh, the food court, there would be people out in front of some of the vendors and they would have samples. And, and it's kind of helpful if I'm walking along, you know, and, and usually I have an idea what I want, but you might take a sample from them and you might think, okay, that's good. And you, you might eat there. But what I thought was really strange was after we had made our selection and we got our food and we went and sat down in the food court to eat, some of these same food sample people would walk up and say, hey, you want, you want something to eat? And I'm like, no, dude, I've already made up my mind. I don't want your stuff. I've chose this, you know, if you really want to get people, why don't you walk outside the food court? Why don't you not wait until they come inside the food court? There's thousands of people. When we would go sometimes during the holidays, there are thousands of people in the parks mall in Arlington, walk right outside the food court and offer it to hungry people. That seems like the smarter thing to do. And if you really want to get a lot of people, get on the little escalator. You don't even have to use effort. Go down the escalator. It's an electric staircase and offer samples to those people, and maybe you can get more folks. Because how, how are people ever going to sample your food if you never step out from where you work? And so I started thinking about this, and I thought, well, you know, that's the, that's the challenge of the church. Many churches, their primary goal is to feed the already convinced. They're wanting to share food with those who are already there. Um, but that's not the picture the Bible tells us of how Jesus spread the message of God's kingdom. Jesus was in church every Sabbath day as God commanded. We changed it to the first day of the week because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. We celebrate the empty tomb. So we, we come on the first day of the week. Jesus went on the Sabbath day like God commanded, but his ministry was not contained into the one or two hours on a Saturday that he would be at church. His ministry just started whenever he got up and he left that service. In fact, look what he says in John chapter five, verse 17. Jesus said to them, my father never stops working, and so I keep working too. Years ago, I was in a, in a church in, in Austin, and our, one of our ministers would always close the service, and he said something the first couple of times. I thought, man, that was a great thing to say, and then the 800th Sunday in a row that he said it, we would kind of roll our eyes and go, dude, come up with a new ending slogan. But what he would say is, our worship service, because that's what we called it in the, in the Baptist church, our worship service has ended, um, our worship has ended, but the service has just begun. And I thought, okay, that's a great thing. But I remember it 20 years later, I remember what this guy said because his idea was you come to worship, you corporately worship the Savior, you, you sing about the empty tomb, you pray to God and you, you, you get excited as you're worshiping the Savior, but your service begins when you leave this room or when you leave the property. So when the worship ends, our service begins. Corporate worship is not about you. It's not about me. Um, what we're doing is we're celebrating the risen Savior. And just like they did in that video, we should be excited that the tomb is empty. It should be just as good a news to us today as it was back then, right? 
Just as good a news to you today as when you first came to Christ, when you first understood. It is a life-changing, eternity-changing thing that happened. And when we gather together, we celebrate the fact that the, the tomb is empty. And as long as there's somebody in the world, anywhere in the world, who does not know about the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, we have to keep on working. We have to keep on serving to share the good news of Jesus. So when we come together, what we do is we, we gather in a place and we gather, we, we uh, connect our lives in a cause that lasts beyond this life and a cause that lasts for eternity. We receive samples of the Savior from the Word of God, and then that Savior, Jesus Christ, says we're supposed to leave here and go share those samples with someone else. We're not supposed to just talk to the already convinced. We're supposed to share with others. So in this series, what we're going to talk about is what is, what is the church supposed to be and do? And I'm going to tell you this over and over. The church is the table where the hungry, where the people, you should put hungry people, put hungry above that. The church is the table where the hungry people come to get fed. Now, Jesus, right after he fed the 5,000, he had this conversation with people who wanted him to keep turning Hebrew happy meals into food for everybody. They didn't want to have to work. They said, this guy should be king because if he can take just a few loaves and a few fish and turn it into food, we want a king like that. So Jesus has this, this talk with them about food, but Jesus begins talking about spiritual food. They're still talking about physical food and they get confused. Look what Jesus says to them. John 6, 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Was he speaking physically or spiritually? Spiritually. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Was he talking about physical hunger or spiritual hunger? Was he talking about spiritual thirst or, or physical thirst? Spiritual. They didn't get it. They often didn't get it when Jesus would talk about spiritual things. Now, just a couple of chapters before that, in John chapter 4, Jesus goes through the, the country of Samaria. And if you know anything about Jews, the Jews would walk around. They would go miles out of their way to avoid the town, even stepping on the property, the ground in Samaria. They would walk in Jewish territory. They would walk around. But the Bible says that Jesus intentionally went through Samaria. When he gets to this well, we're gonna, uh, he, he, was, he had an appointment with the woman at the well. His disciples didn't know that, but the Bible tells us it was around noon and it was going to be the heat of the day and everybody was hungry. So Jesus sends the disciples into town to get bread. Jesus stays there by the well. Well, a woman comes out. Why would a woman come out in the heat of the day? We assume it's because she had had five different husbands and the man that she was now living with was not her husband. And so she was an outcast in that society. And we are, we're guessing she went to the well in the heat of the day because she wanted to avoid everyone else. Jesus knew that Jesus was there. Jesus starts talking to her and he says, Hey, I need a drink. And, and she says, you don't have anything to get water with. And he said, well, I can give you a drink and you'll never be thirsty again. Was Jesus talking about physical thirst or spiritual thirst? She thought it was physical. She said, give me this. So I don't have to come back here anymore. They had this long conversation. And at the end of the conversation, Jesus reveals to him, I am the Messiah the one you've all been waiting for. She gets all excited. She's about to go back to town to meet all of those people who she's been avoiding and tell them about Jesus when his disciples come back to town from town and they have food. All right. Now they're shocked because a Jewish man should never be speaking to um, a, a, a woman in public, but a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman in public, that's unheard of, something you would never do. And then a Jewish rabbi would never speak to a woman publicly, never speak to a Samaritan woman. They are shocked that Jesus is talking to this woman. She leaves to go tell everybody, hey, I've met the Messiah. You need to come. She went back to share samples of the Savior with people who had shunned her, and the disciples still don't get it. And look what happens when they show up. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, rabbi, Eat something. Were they talking physical or spiritual? 
physical. They'd gone to town, they'd gotten some bread. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Was he, was he speaking spiritually or physically? Spiritually, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. His disciples go back to the physical and said to each other, could someone have bought him food, physical food? Someone snuck him some bread, some cookies, some Oreos. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus said, what nourishes my soul is doing what my heavenly father created me to do. And his message to you is what will nourish your soul is doing what God created you to do on this planet. The same will happen for you. When you offer samples of the Savior to people who are hungry, your soul will be nourished. Now, the challenge we have as a local church is we are supposed to feed people. We're actually supposed to feed two types of people, believers and seekers. A believer is someone who stepped across the line of faith. They've been adopted into God's family. Ask him the way we say it here. Ask him to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life. A seeker is someone who has not. And at New Life, our mandate, our mission is to reach both. So here it is. Here's our mission. Put it up there. Is to build believers and serve seekers. I want you to say that. I want everybody to say that. By the way, we now have microphones out there and they can hear online whether you participate or not. And so I want you to know that. And if you go to our stream later and you watch it, you can maybe hear yourself. Don't do it on purpose, but, but participate. Build believers and serve seekers. There are a group of people here today. There's a group of people online watching us on Facebook that, that are believers. You've stepped across the line. You've been adopted into God's family. And our job is to feed you the bread of life week in and week out. Um, whoever is speaking on the, on the weekend, whether it's me or Casey's going to be speaking in a couple of weeks. Next week, uh, Brother Perry's going to be sharing his testimony about um, being in the Christian Motorcycle Association. He's actually the president of that association. Whoever stands up here and shares with you the bread of life is the dude with the food, right? Now, if Brandy shares her testimony, she's not a dude and there's nothing that rhymes with food. And so I don't know. I don't know. Um, but as long as there's dudes, it's the dude with the food that should be up here sharing with those who are already believing. And let me tell you what food is. It's two, two things. Food is the word of God and the will of God. Two things that will nourish your soul, the word of God and doing, obeying the will of God. And the more time I spend in preparation or whoever is speaking or sharing spends in preparation, the better the presentation of the food that makes sense, right? Now, we also have people here at New Life every weekend. We have folks that are now watching on Facebook who are seekers. Um, a seeker is someone who has no church background or no, church or no biblical understanding. They don't have a foundation. Maybe you went to church when you were younger. Maybe you got into the religion thing, but you don't understand the whys of religion. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never stepped across the line of faith. Here at New Life, we're, New Life, we're supposed to reach both of them. And I want you to think about this. Um, in order to do that, week in and week out, we're supposed to offer the bread of life and we need to do it in a way that's compelling. How can you dare make the, the message of Jesus boring? You don't understand the message of Jesus if you make it boring. So whoever's up here needs to prepare as, as best they can to feed you the word, the bread of life. Now, I want you to think about this. Whenever you invite somebody over to your house, what do you do for dinner or, or a meal? You, you call them up, hey, can you come? Or you text, can you come over? You agree on a date. And then you probably begin to ask them, what, what foods do you like? What foods do you not like? And in this day and age, you got to ask about food allergies, right? If people are coming over. And then once you agree on a time and you agree on what you're going to eat, what do you do? Well, in our family, we work. We do the work. We don't invite our guests over, hey, come clean up the house so that you can come eat with us. We do the work. Now, I've 
discovered that many of us have something called chaos syndrome. Do you know what that is? Chaos is can't have anyone over syndrome because the house isn't clean enough, right? Now, it's not that our house isn't clean enough, but we clean more. We do the work. We don't ask our guests to do the work. We plan ahead. We get rid of the chaos, and then we have people over. We try to do the same thing here. We plan ahead at New Life so that we get rid of all the chaos so that we tear down the walls that keep people from coming. When our family eats, especially when our kids were little, um, Hannah talked about this this week. So when, when our kids were little, Janie grew up in a family that you didn't burp and you didn't do anything publicly. We had this discussion last week. Um, Janie always has Easter extravaganza, which is her side of the family all comes. And so there were all these people in the living room talking about, well, when I grew up, you didn't burp, you didn't, all that other stuff, any bodily function. Well, Hannah said, I remember when I was a kid, if we burped at the table or anything else, we had to go to our room and count out loud, and you had to count to whatever number was 10 times your current age. So if you're 50, you had to count to 50 by ones, and you had to do it loud enough that mama could hear you from the table. If you didn't, you didn't get to come back in. You had to start over. And so she learned what? You don't burp at the table, all right? When we have guests over, when our kids were little, we would have a pep talk. Okay, we don't want you throwing any food, because sometimes you know people would say, hey, Pastor, me a roll and I say, you want that air or freight? And, and freight meant you hand it to them. Air was you chunk it at them. You know, that's just the way I grew up. I was in a very different family. None of this air or freight stuff when, when people come over and for, for the love of God, close the bathroom door when you go to the bathroom because we're having guests over, right? Now, when we did that, let me ask you a couple of questions. Are we compromising who we are as people when we ask our kids to have a little courtesy when guests come over? Are we watering down the food? Are we compromising um, our belief system by asking our kids to defer to the guests? No, we're deferring to the guests. Here's what we do at New Life. We defer to our guests. Week in, week out. We try to teach in a way that someone could come here and never have any biblical, uh, any church background, anything like that, and they can walk out knowing something because we defer to our guests. We have the opportunity week in and week out to reach people who are about 70, 75, some of y'all 80, I've seen you, 80 miles per hour out here on 155. There went another new lifer. Lord, I don't want to do another funeral. You know, by the way, y'all quit dying. All right. I just, I just want to tell you that I can't handle any more this week. We have an opportunity to reach people. And so we have to defer to them, not, not compromise what we believe but we think about them whenever we entertain folks here. We think about our church family every week. I think about the church family because we couldn't do this without you. The band, we have rehearsals. Um, the, the, the people in this band are some of the dearest, most giving people I've ever met in my life. No egos. Um, they, they just want to serve God. They do it for nothing. No glory. And they're a, they're a joy to be with. There are people right now back in the children's area who give up sitting in here with you so that you can, especially like single moms, this may be the only chance every week you get to just go, ah, someone else deals with my offspring. There are opportunities, and we couldn't put this on. There's guys back there doing sound, um, doing the, the computer slides, folks that are running the camera uh, for our Facebook feed. They're greeters. We have a guest services team that's going to start meeting today, and, and we want all of this to be about the guests because we don't want anybody to ever walk in here and think that we think we're better than they are because we don't. We don't believe that for a second. 
When we think about it, we think about our family, but we also think about the, the couple whose marriage is on the rocks and they may not make it. We think about the single person who is dealing with loneliness and thinks this is the only way it's ever going to be. We think about teenagers who may be contemplating committing suicide. We think about those people and we think about the bread of life, Jesus Christ, and how he would respond to those people. And we think about um, the dude with the food, whoever is up here, you better be bringing it because our people expect you to bring it. And then we think about who's in the chairs. Well, let's talk about who's in this chairs. In a healthy church, I believe there's thirds. I know I kind of disappear here for a second, but just, just pay attention. You can see the table. That's what's important. In a healthy church, there should be thirds. In this church should be lost people. I'm talking about hell-bound, cocaine-snorting, church, skirt-chasing lost people. And in our first service, I saw him laughing back there. He shared this in his testimony. He said, I could share this. David Starkey was sitting back here at the back and he started laughing because I said, hey man, I got a line for you in my sermon today. David will tell you in his testimony, the first time, very first time they ever came to, he, he and a buddy came to this church. I said, we built this place for cocaine snorting, skirt chasing, lost people. And his buddy, he and his buddy looked at each other and they go, how do you know we were here? <laughs> and I said, yes, that's we should have a third of those people here, those people. And let me just tell you, those people are my people. If a church doesn't want those people, fine, I'll take them all. This church was started for hellbound people. And I'll say it again, but I'm getting ahead of myself. If you're a Christ follower and we don't do church the way you want us to do church, there are 122 churches, at least 16 years ago when we started New Life, there was 122 churches just within the loop in Palestine or within the city limits of Palestine. Go find you one because we're going to be about reaching people who are lost, who are far from God. That's who we are. And we will not apologize for it. And if we have to choose between you and them, go serve and we'll see you in heaven. We just think it's, we think it's unacceptable that we should choose a saved person over a lost person if we're gonna to try to reach someone. That's not who we are. So in this chair, it's the lost person. In this chair, we believe if you come long enough, you're eventually gonna become a Christ follower and that's a baby Christian. There's nothing wrong with being a baby Christian. You can be 70 years old, but the first time you come to Christ, you are a baby Christian because you don't know anything and you have to mature and you have to grow up. I grew up in the Baptist church and in the Baptist church, there's people who are old, who've been Christians a long time, but they're still one-year-old. They may be a Christian for 50 years, but they're still a baby one-year-old Christian because they've never fed on the word of God. They've never gotten off their butts to do anything for anyone other than themselves. And then they say, oh, this is my chair. How dare you sit in my chair? Go to hell because this is my chair. No, not here. We will not block off this parking lot and say, oh, you can't come in unless you're like us. You have to clean yourself up before you come. That's a Christian country club. We're not one. And not while I'm alive, will we be one? Lost people, baby Christians, and here's what we believe. As you feed on the bread of life, then you push back from the table. You move over here to the mature Christian. So people will say things like, a, a healthy church is full of mature Christians. No, it's not. A healthy church is full of baby Christians. No, it's not. 
Because if mature Christians are doing what they should be doing, they're taking samples of the Savior outside of these walls, whether they work or go to school or where neighbors, and they're offering samples of the Savior, and they're inviting, come to the table. Oh, I can't come to the table because people like me don't go there. We're all like you. We want you here. Mature people have to invite these people. And you do not move from baby Christian until you start serving. You serve people in the church. You serve people outside the church. As you serve, without even knowing it, you move into the mature Christian chair. This should be an ecosystem that is constantly going. And we should be a church of thirds. Come back on. Thank you. When we invite people here, All we are is one beggar telling another beggar where to find food, where to find bread. We're inviting them to come meet our Savior. Now, here's part of the issue. We give out samples of the Savior by the way we talk, by the places we go, by our language, our business practices, our attitude, our actions. So I have a question for you. Have you forfeited the right to hand out samples of the Savior because of who you are outside these walls? Here's what I mean. Can you imagine if, if one of those sample, food sample people, they have a tray and, and you're watching, you're walking up and they go, hot. <gasps> Want some? What are you going to say? I don't think so. Or what if, you know, these are one of those folks, they're kind of clumsy and they spill the samples and they pick them up. <laughs> Want some? Or you're watching and they go to the trash can. Oh, there's a good one. There's a good one. There's one. Some. Are you going to take that food? The way we portray ourselves sometimes is no different from that. And people will say, if that's your savior, if that's what he looks like, I don't want any part of him. You have to understand. I'm not talking about compromising who you are. I'm talking about thinking and deferring to the guests, deferring to lost people. You may not be able to go to certain places. You may not be able to dress a certain way, not because that makes you a bad person, but because it disqualifies you from offering a sample of your Savior. It's all about other people. This church, and actually any church that was, that's created to follow Jesus Christ, it's the only organization on the planet that was created for people who aren't there. Think about that. Everything else created for Y members. Nothing wrong with being a Y member. I'm a Y member. But the Y wasn't created for people who weren't there. The church was. We can never be content with how many lost people we've reached. As long as there's one left, we've got to go and reach them. You remember when, uh, I remember this. I, I keep showing my age all the time. Do you remember when Bill Clinton ran for president the first time? He had a slogan. It, hap- it actually helped him win the White House. Over and over they said, it's the economy, stupid. How many of you remember that? Because the, the, uh, the first President Bush, one of his biggest things was he said, no new taxes. Read my lips, no new taxes. And then he signed something and we got new taxes. And then here comes Bill Clinton. He says, it's the economy, stupid. And no matter what happened, they kept going back to the economy, hammered the economy, hammered the economy, and they eventually won the White House. Now, we also have a slogan. This is something that, come, that, that I say over and over to myself to remind myself what I'm supposed to be doing. And here it is. Our, our motto, our slogan is, at New Life, it's the weekend, stupid now, let me tell you why. 
the most important thing any church does is the weekend service. Now, don't say, Doug said, no. I'm not saying that Bible studies, that youth group, that CR, that the landing, I'm not saying those things aren't important, but I'm saying where we have the biggest reach, especially now that you know we've got two services and we got online, our biggest reach is the weekend. That's where we come together to, to corporately worship. We need to put our most effort into the weekend service. Um, we should work very, very hard as leaders to prepare something for you that nourishes your soul, but also we ask God every week, every week I say, God, help me to honor you and inspire these people to take something and change because God loves you too much to, to leave you where you are. He loves you right where you are. He doesn't want you to stay where you are. He wants you to grow up. Uh, and so this corporate time, we need to work hard to make sure that we're offering you something. When, when we have um, our, our holidays, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter extravaganza with Janie's family, or, or we call it Gardener Thanksgiving, that's her side of the family when we get together. Janie works for days to prepare the meal. And actually on the day of, she's worn out because she's been working for hours during the week. We should, whoever presents you the word of God, the bread of life should spend hours. I spend anywhere from eight to 16 hours a week on this one message. And it's why, it's why preachers the day after on Monday morning, man, I'm just like, dude, I got to do it again. Seven days later, here we go again. One of my preachers, one of my pastors years ago said, said being a preacher is like, like taking a uh, peanut at the bottom of a mountain and pushing it to the top of the mountain with your nose. When you get to the top, that's Sunday morning. And as soon as you say amen and dismiss everybody, you go to the bottom and you start again. I'm not asking for any, any um, compassion. I'm just telling you it's the way it is. Every Monday morning, I'm like, dude, I got to do it again. And then I spend the majority of my time not visiting people, not writing letters to people. I spend the majority of my time every week trying to prepare a meal that meets someone's soul level needs. I can't do that. No matter how good I think my illustrations are, they're only this good. Supernatural is at the ceiling. So every week I say, God, you got to take my efforts. When Casey preaches, God, you got to take Casey's efforts. Whoever's up here, God, you got to take their efforts. And if you don't do something supernatural, supernatural is not going to happen right? So in this church, we've got to be very careful that whether it's Bible studies, where it's back here with the children, we've got to offer our best because we're giving samples of the Savior. Now, this is important because Jesus, before he left the earth, this resurrected Jesus said this to Simon Peter. Simon Peter would become one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. And here's what he said to him, feed my sheep. If I'm the dude with the food, if the dude with the food, we better be preparing this in a way that honors our heavenly father. And, and to say, you know, we got to be creative or whatever to say that that's not spiritual. Jesus was very creative. Jesus spoke in a way that people could understand. He drew in the sand. He sat on a boat. He picked up a child. He pointed at a sower. He talked about a building falling over. Jesus was very creative in the way he spoke. He used parables, word pictures, humor, communication methods are important. Here's the issue I have with most churches in East Texas. And I'll speak about the ones specifically I've been a part of the churches that I was a part of, man, we had, we had Bible studies like crazy. We didn't have enough people serving because it was a feed me, feed me, feed me type deal. It was diet, but no exercise. Nobody ever pushed away from the table and said, what can I do to help the mission of God in this place? Instead, they said, I want to go deeper. I need more. Can you help me? I need to go deeper. And if you won't help me go deeper, I'm going to go find another church that will. Okay. Two things about that. Number one, you don't need to go deeper. You need to obey the things you already know. 
You need to be doing what God has already revealed to you. I bet most Christians don't do half of what they know the Bible says to do. So work on being more obedient. And then if you think you need to go to a deeper church, I'll help you find the door. Because we're going to be about reaching lost people. And if we have to defer to lost people, if we have to lose you to defer to lost people, we're going to defer to lost people. It's who we are. So we've got this, we've got the word of God. We do have to know this stuff. I'm not saying don't have Bible studies. But the purpose of learning scripture is to do it. Here's what James, the half-brother of Jesus said. I love the message translation of this. The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works and you get the same thing. A corpse. You want to know why so many churches are dying? Because all they do is feed on the word of God and they never do it. Faith without actions is dead. Your spiritual faith with no actions leaves you with a spiritual corpse. So we've got to do something. We will not be a church that lacks in the area of serving. So diet and exercise. Feed on it, then do it. Push away from the table and get out there and do it. So you receive. We receive the word of God. That's how we're fed. And then we do the word of God. We consume the bread of life and then we obey. Because if you're a feed me, feed me, feed me type person, you're liable to end up looking like this. Y'all know who that is? Hey, hey, hey. It's fat Albert. I grew up on this, man. That's one of the cartoons I watched on, on Saturday morning. I was afraid y'all wouldn't know who that was. I mean, I know there's been a movie about him and recently, but, but Fat Albert, man, people wanted him on, on their team whenever they played tug-of-war, <laughs> right? Hey, he's a great guy. But if all you do is feed on the word of God and you never serve, you look like this. And, and let, me just, let me just say this. Those of you who are hashtag people on Facebook, I don't really like you. Um, because many times I try to read these hashtags and because it's all put together, I, I grew up when they taught English, right? And so you read things and, and you know, I'm kind of, a, kind of a word nerd sometimes. And, and so I see these things and I go, I go, that doesn't make sense. What are you trying to say here? And don't, don't do multiple hashtags. <laughs> one of my family, not, not one of my nieces has about 800 hashtags. I'd just stop after the second one and say, mm, I'm not reading it. But here's, here's what happens. If you do a hashtag and you push everything together, you're liable to confuse people because here's what I see. Hashtag Fat Albert. Fatal Bert. And I grew up on Sesame Street. So I saw, I laughed. This, there's no spiritual significance whatsoever to this. I just thought it was funny. And I'd say, be careful with your hashtags, especially if you're offering samples of the Savior. All right, I just want to make sure you're awake. The challenge is we build believers, we feed believers and get them to push away from the table so they can exercise and serve seekers. You can serve seekers by, by working in the kids area, by being a part of our guest services team, by, by serving and, and celebrate recovery or the landing. By the way, the landing is always looking for people to tell their story, their, their testimony. And so if you want to do that, Brandy will work with you and help you get that ready so you can share with our teenagers what God has done in your life. They need to hear over and over that God's still alive. God still changes lives. And if you want to share that, get with with me and I'll, I'll introduce you to Brandy. She's always looking for people on Tuesday nights to share their story. There's, um, there's working back there in the, on the computers. There's, there's, um, there's all kinds of ways that you 
can serve in our church. And in fact, um, the Christian Motorcycle Association, there's ways you can serve. In fact, you're going to see a little video next week, just a three-minute video of what the CMA does. And part of the money they raise goes to sending the Jesus film all over the world. And they're going to tell you about how many people came to Christ. Well, they also do stuff here. They do every uh, Christmas... Perry puts on the Santa Claus uh, outfit and he goes, they deliver Christmas presents to kids who would not get Christmas presents here in, in Anderson County in Palestine, Texas. There's something you can do to serve and offer the bread of life to others. Now, here's the interesting thing to me about churches that are diet driven. The 122 churches, I hadn't been in that many, but all of the Baptist churches I was in, almost all of them were diet, 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 diet. And just a few people over here running around serving until they almost kill themselves because they're doing too much. You would think that someone who knows the word of God backwards and forwards can quote it in every situation and can beat you over the head with it. You would think those type of churches are reaching a lot of lost people, but my observation is they're not. You want to know why? Say yes. yes. Thank you. Just again. Because too many of them, when all you do is feed on the word of God and you never serve, you get puffed up. You, you become prideful. It's what 1 Corinthians 8, 1 says. Knowledge, knowledge by itself, puffs a person up with pride, but love builds up. If all I get is knowledge and I never serve anyone, I get full of myself and it's easy for me to look down on you. Now, here's what a non Christian thinks about most churches, they think this is hung out on the sign on, outside on the door. Keep out. We don't want you. Now, can you imagine if a restaurant, let's say these sample people that have the, the food in one hand, they, they have this in the other. Keep out. We don't want your kind here. Would you take their sample? Would you go to their restaurant? No. But even if you get past the keep out sign that they think is out there, then, then they think that everybody's got it all together. And they think if they have problems, they really think, here's my little Hello Kitty travel case. They think that if your problems are bigger than what would fit in this luggage, you're not welcome here because God forbid your little emotional baggage should spill out and it becomes messy. And we don't have the time or the energy or desire to help you clean up what's in here. You get past this, you get past thinking that, that everybody else has got it all together, and then non-Christians feel like they got a target on them, right? Walk into church, because here's what happens. Church members sit on the back row, and they force non-church members, and if you're on the back row, don't, don't get mad, just, just move next week. But they think that, that they have to walk in and when they have to walk, because the, the number one fear of most people is, is speaking in public. They don't want to be noticed when they go someplace. And if you make them walk all the way down to the front, a front row seat may be great at the Super Bowl or at some rock concert, but to a non-Christian walking into a church and going to the front row, the seat kind of looks like this. <laughs> it's our best one. Come on down, sit right here. You're not going to sit in that chair. Why do you think they're going to sit in that chair? So I'm going to remind you, it's been a while. It's my fault. I haven't reminded you of this. We used to teach all the time, park at the back, sit at the front. Because the best seats to a non-Christian are those back there closest to the door. Because they don't know when we might do something really weird. And I joke about it, but this is true. First timers, you can tell first timers that come in the living room down there, if they don't know anybody, they come in and they move up next to the wall. And they stand right there by the door to see if anybody's going to speak to them or to see if they need to get out of there. So park way out there, sit up here and defer to the guests that we say we want to reach. 
the way you, the way you conduct yourselves in the living room out there tells people whether we really want to give them samples of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our job, we're going to tear down all of these walls. And, and, and it's not vital just for lost people that we tear down the walls so that lost people can come. It's vital for baby Christians because you cannot move from baby Christian to mature Christian without serving lost people. It's the way God set it up. We begin to look more and more like Christ as we push away from the table. We, we, we eat the bread of life. We push away from the table. We serve and without even knowing it, we move from baby Christian to mature Christian and we look more like Jesus. So here's how we finish. If you want to know whether you're growing as a Christian, if you're maturing as a Christian, Jesus was asked, what is the number one, what is the number one thing? The number one uh, law. And he says, Matthew 22, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus boiled it down. What's the greatest thing to do in the kingdom of God? He says, love God. What's the second thing? Love people. And here's the kicker. You can't do one without the other. Oh, I love Jesus. I can't stand these people who are sitting next to me. No, you cannot, you show your love for God by loving those people created in the image of God. Even messy people who have more baggage than this. And you honestly, you cannot love people supernaturally without being plugged into God's supernatural love. It's a cycle. If I love God, I'm gonna show it by being loving to people. If I'm loving people, I'm proving to God that I love him and I wanna follow him. So let me just say it again. If we ever have to choose between someone in this chair, the lost person, and someone baby Christian or mature Christian, we're going to choose that one. We're going to choose lost people. It's why God called us to start this church 16 years ago. And as long as I have breath, we're going to reach lost people for Christ. Would you bow your heads? Father, it's my prayer that you, uh, you remind us that life isn't about us because it's real easy to think life is about us because there's an enemy who tells us life is about us. There are people out there who tell us life is about us. There are television shows and commercials and, and advertising executives that tell us life is all about us. And we don't want our church to be like that. So God, as long as there's someone lost within driving distance or now even within internet distance of New Life Community Church, we want to be about offering the samples of the Savior in the way we talk, in the places we go, and how we treat one another. So God, give us that resurrection power. And then when those hard-hearted people far from God, when we come across their path, help us love them into the kingdom of God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.